The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, friends. I'm your host, Chris Thrill. I'm a former Royal Marines commando. I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Hello, friends. Today's podcast, I'm going to be talking about when, how, me and 15 of my good buddies, we took a bus and we drove to India and back. If that sounds like something you would want to do, stay tuned, have a listen to the podcast, because at some point I'm going to tell you how you can do it and how you can do it for free, right? So I was working in Africa. It was after my chronic drug problems. I decided I wanted to go and give something back to the world. And I'd been um, working with street children. So there I was working in Africa. I was working in war-torn Mozambique. There were landmines everywhere. It was poverty. I was volunteering with street children uh, because after my, my drug problems and my enlightenment, I wanted to give something back, right? So I'm working there. And the organization, the volunteer organization I was working for, emailed me back in the early days of email, right? And they say, Chris, would you drive our bus to India and back from Norway up there in, you know, the frozen waste of Scandinavia? Um, they send a bus every year from Norway to India. And the idea was 15 of us volunteers got the chance to exchange culture with people along the way and also to write articles about people living in poverty and generally try to have an experience that in some way could better the world. I'm not going to say if we achieved that aim, but it, it kind of became a little by the by after what I'm going to tell you, right? So I jumped on this email. Do I want to drive a bus to India and back for free? Yes, please. So I'll fast forward. I, I won't tell you about, um, I won't tell you any more about the volunteer university school that I work for. I'll just tell you about the bus trip. We had this old 1978 British Leyland coach. For English people, that's like the one that they drove you to school on. And we'd fundraise the money for it, but it was, uh, we'd fundraise the money to renovate it, but it was an old banger, right? Um, sorry, to buy and renovate it, but it was a real old banger. It, in hindsight, we should have got a much better bus. But anyway, Lee, who's my fellow driver, he's an English guy. He was asked to drive as well because on our English driving licenses, there's some sort of caveat. You can drive a minibus up to a certain weight, up to like 12 tons, if there's only 18 seats in it, right? So what we did in Norway, 
at this, uh, I'm going to call it the school. We just took all the seats out of this bus and we built beds in it. We built breakfast tables, this kind of thing. And that was it. So we had 18 seats, qualified to drive on our licenses. Off we went. Now, India's quite a long way. I'm guessing it was about 4,000 miles there and the same back again. We got into trouble pretty much from the start. The first thing was Lee is a very good friend who's like my best friend from Manchester, right? Um, he's also the guy that died when we took LSD together. If you have a look at in my videos, it says my friend died on LSD or, or some such thing, right? You want to learn more about that. First of all, he's got terrible eyesight. If he hasn't got his glasses on, he can't see almost like his hand in front of his face, right? He's got these prescription sunglasses made up. And he was a bit younger than me. He was that much younger where, having not been in the Marines, he was always trying to, like, do the cool thing, right? Those things that you, you don't really care about as you get older. He was still trying to do that. So he had to have his sunglasses on and he'd drive like a bat out of hell. And coming down this mountain, this school we went to in Norway where we studied to become volunteer workers, it was 80 miles up on one of the mountains they had the Lilyhammer Olympics on, right? So coming down this steep, um, snowy track, I'll put a photo up. Lee's going way too fast. So I'm like, right from the start, oi, you can pack that in. You know, I'm not driving all the way to India with you trying to pretend you're Sterling Moss because you think it impresses the girls. But we filled up with petrol at the bottom of the hill, right? So we've only gone two miles. Uh, sorry, we've only gone the 18 miles down this hill or 18 kilometers and a couple of miles to this petrol station filled up in a place called Oya. And we drove on another 10 miles and got stopped by the police. Now, they were just flagging all the motorists over and they were checking, you know, like tax discs that you had back in the day, that, that kind of thing, right? And they dipped our tank. They literally put a tube in, took a sample of our fuel out and tested it. Well, we didn't have anything to worry about, right? Not only have we not broken a law, but we didn't even know what the hell they were doing anyway. Turns out the copper walks over and says, uh, sorry, guys, uh, you're not going anywhere. We're going to slap a $3,000 fine on you. So say, let's just talk English, £3,000, right? Turns out that we filled up with agricultural diesel. It was a pure mistake. We didn't know there was any difference between industrial or what, you know, commercial, what you buy if you've got a diesel car and green diesel is what you buy if you're a farmer and you don't pay tax on it, right? We just saw a pump at a petrol station, said diesel and a picture of a tractor or a truck. So immediately we're hit with that. Phone the school up and the, the kind of headmaster there just went, just ignore it. We'll, we'll do it. You keep going, right? So they paid this £3,000 fine for us. Um, got a, we got as far as Sweden and then we drove to, let me look at my map here. We got a ferry across to Germany, right? And that's when we started to have problems. By this time, the steering, the play in the steering on the bus meant it was going down the road 
It was just drifting across the road. We had no idea why. Also, the seat that I was on, it was one of those bouncy, bouncy bus driver seats. That was just killing my back right from the start. And I didn't even have, have any back problems back then, right? And um, something was wrong. So we, we went around, we checked all the wheels. On the back, we'd been driving with a tyre that was completely flat. Because it was inside, because the wheels, the tyres and the wheels were like that, double and double, it was the inside one, so we hadn't seen it, right? Um, I'm not sure if that fixed the steering problem, but like that was the least of our worries anyway. So we kind of got the impression here that this bus is going to give us significant problems, and it did. From that point on, we broke down almost every day and it was only me and lee that had any kind of idea about mechanics and we could get under the bus have a look and fix these problems but uh we pushed on we we after enjoying the german autobahns which were amazing we pushed into um austria italy driving up through the alps and across the alps and down these mountain roads was just a, an amazing experience in Italy. There are all these like fairy tale castles right up on top of the cliffs, just like something out of a like a film, really, or a, or a storybook. Um, from Italy, we got we went to Venice, as in the water, the watery place, and that was mad. I mean, how many people can say been to Venice? How many people can say they've driven to Venice? How many people say they've driven there on a 12-ton, you know, 30-metre-long coach? <laughs> so that was it. Uh, Lee and I, we had a we had a kind of bit of a deal going on. And that was namely, we didn't tell the other the other guys that we, we were just having a few beers at every opportunity. It, we're English. It's just what we do, right? And the reason I say that is the organization we work for had a very strict no drink, no drugs policy. Had they known what we were doing, we'd have, uh, yeah, we'd have been out of there, right? So that was it. Went across into Greece. Greece was pretty mad. Um, everywhere along the road, every sort of hundred meters, there's a little prayer box, right? And it's where someone's been killed in their cars. And there's so many of these things. That you start to get the impression these guys are idiot drivers, okay? And they are. So as well as um, enjoying the frappe coffee, which was the first I'd ever come across this drink, which became our morning ritual in Greece, was drink this frappe coffee, right? We even bought a shaker to make it ourselves. But we uh, we did some hitchhiking. We left a bus somewhere. I don't know if it was in Athens, the capital. And we were doing hitchhiking. And I was with a girl called Miriam. Um, and we got a lift with this Greek guy and he was getting on a bit. He wasn't, you know, he's approaching 70. Never, ever had someone drive me so fast. Well, other than probably myself, I grew up in the countryside. So all of me and my mates just drove like bats out of hell everywhere. It's just how it is if you grow up in the countryside, right? A bit like Dukes of Hazard. This guy was even faster than that. It was insane. He's a Peugeot 205 GTI. His foot was to the floor. 
for this hundred mile journey that we're, that we're but anyway um, um moving on we slept up at the acropolis one night the acropolis if my history is correct and it's not very good at the best of times is this big old sort of uh stone building that's all obviously in decay now because it's thousands of years old at least a lot of hundreds of years old and we slept up there one night we just took our sleeping bags chucked them out on the rocks and we slept and in the morning when we woke up to see the sunrise we're surrounded by snakes that had all come out of their hidey holes in this rock to sit up and bathe in the sun right so uh yeah that was interesting um from greece we drove down all those narrow kind of coastal twisting roads next to the beautiful blue sea. And in Greece, the sea is an amazing, it's not like turquoise, it's deeper. It's a richer blue than that. It's one of the most amazing sea colours I think, I think I've ever seen, like in the world, right? Um, from Greece, we drove into Turkey, into Istanbul. This is where we start to have major problems. In Istanbul, the engine started chucking out water and we just couldn't get water to stay in the radiator, right? It was just just spraying out. We thought it was some, you know, we're hoping it's some silly little problem like the radiator pump stopped or something. We found a garage, ended up paying 5,000 US dollars, which in Turkey, and we're talking... 15 years ago this is about the year 1999 right um that was a lot of money and it turned out our engine was mangled the camshaft had bent the people that had used the bus the year before us had had repairs done and they hadn't been done properly so we had a bent camshaft as a result it is the the everything needed overhauling all the pistons needed reboring you know, the valves needed reseating. I won't bore you with the technical stuff. So all the team hitchhiked on into, uh, through Turkey and into Iran, right? Me and Lee stayed on the bus. And I said, Lee, why did you volunteer? Because our leader was called JR, right? He's a good friend of mine now, but, and he'll laugh when he hears this, I, I hope, but he was like our leader. He's a Northern Irish guy, right? From Derek. Derry, Derry, ah, let's forget the impressions, right? He's this Northern Irish guy. He was uh, one of the kind of teachers at the school. And because he'd gone on with everyone else, oh, that was right. He'd, he'd said, guys, would someone volunteer to do the finances for the team, right? And Lee puts his hand up and says, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And I'm so, I'm there saying to him now, Lee, why did you do that? Because... You know, we're driving as it is. We're doing all the mechanics on the bus. I'm doing all the washing up because everyone else was just bone lazy. I'm waking everyone up in the morning because everyone would just sleep in bed. This is the difference between military and civilians, right? It it was a nightmare dealing with just the sheer laziness of civilians. And I don't mean all civilians when I say that, but I mean these 14 fuckers, right? So. Lee says, why did you think I volunteered to do the finances? And then it made sense. You see, we didn't have any money. I'd saved 300 American dollars while I was in Mozambique six months, right? 
and that is getting paid five quid a week, I managed to save somehow, don't ask me how, maybe it was 15 quid a week. We got paid this pittance in Mozambique and I'd say 300 bucks, right? But I didn't want to spend it because when we got to Delhi in India, I had a feeling I was going to hop on a flight and go and see my brother who was teaching in Bangkok, right, in Thailand. So now it made sense why Lee's doing the finances. It's because he's got no money either. We used to do this thing where if we needed anything, we'd just go and ask someone for it. We called it klansing. It's a Norwegian word, right? It's like begging, but from a respectable perspective, as in we're volunteer workers. We, we don't get paid for working in Africa. The money I just mentioned, that's like subsistence, right? It's just enough to buy, well, that was beer if you listen on a, on a podcast. Um, and a few, you know, do a bit of traveling. It wasn't, I mean, to be honest, it was actually quite a lot of subsistence. Hence why I could save 300, right? But Lee, he's skint. So now he's in charge of the finance. He can buy himself beers and he's putting it down as in the finance sheet as bread. Bought more bread today. More bread. <laughs> and of course it's not. It's, it's cans of beer. So anyway, that was it. We stayed in that garage for three weeks while these mechanics did the bus. And bear in mind that Istanbul, capital of Turkey, it's fairly kind of, well, it's, it's not strictly Muslim in Turkey, but it's, that's the, the, the leading religion, right? There's a lot of Christians as well, but, but considering, you know, Muslims aren't supposed to drink by the time we left this garage, they was all getting hammered every night with us, right? You used to get this stuff. Someone might want to put the name in the comments, but it's the Turkish version of ouzo, that licorice tasting, aniseed tasting, sweet kind of um, spirit that they have in, in Greece, isn't it? Anyway, that was all right, except that one night, one of the mechanics got really pissed up. He's called Genghis, right? Genghis got pissed up. We'd made friends with a guy. Oh, my God, I can't remember his name. Hamzi. Hamza, right? Hamzi, we called him. His name was Hamza, right? He was a lovely Iranian man. Absolutely like if you wanted a man Friday or a best mate, this was your man. He would do anything for me and Lee, right? We even sent him to go and get us some drugs. He came back with some opium for us that he begged off one of the other lorry drivers at this garage we're staying at, right? Um, I'll tell you about that. Anyway. So Genghis is this old grey-haired Turkish gent, gets pissed up on this Uzo stuff, goes up to the top balcony in this garage where Hamza lived, because obviously he's an immigrant to Turkey, and Genghis gets Hamza's locker and just throws it off this balcony. So me and me, me and uh, Lee, we're on the bus asleep, and suddenly in the middle of the night, Bang! This locker hits the deck from like 30 feet up. Loudest noise you can imagine in a confined space of a, of a bus garage, right? Lee and I shoot up, up, you know, upright in our bunks, throw open the bus door, and there's this Jenga's pissed out of his head, right? Um, and this locker, Hamzy's locker is smashed and all his possessions are everywhere. Anyway, 
Moving on, by this time, Miriam, the sweet, the Swiss girl that I mentioned, she's now got engaged to a Kurd on the border between Turkey and Iran. And she ain't coming back to the bus. But she came back and had a chat with us just to get her stuff and go again. So kind of didn't think that marriage was going to last very long for cultural reasons. And uh, don't think I was wrong, right? But Miriam, lovely, lovely girl. Anyway, so Hamza's getting on the bus with us every night because he lives in this garage. So we're his company and he's our company. And because of the language barrier, we didn't speak Farsi. It's what they speak in Iran, right? Um, so he'd go, bidgy, bidgy, bidgy. And he'd make these hand signs. So if he's saying, right, you talk to me, he'd go, bidgy, 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 bidgy. So we just started saying, bidgy, bidgy. No idea what it meant, right? And, uh, and so we're trying to explain to him that the bus is, we think there's a rat on the bus, right? Or that there's a rat in, in the garage. And somehow it came about that me and Lee said, should we try and get the rat on the bus? And, and so we can catch it. Or it was some, some scenario like this, right? And this Hamzy guy goes, says the rat, he's trying to say if the rat comes on here, you, he's in, he's trying to say the rat comes in here, you're not going to kill it. What will happen is he'll go. <laughs> he said the rat will just call all his mates on board. <laughs> bidgy, bidgy, bidgy. So that was Ham, Hamzy. And I tell you an amazing coincidence, actually. And I need to tell you, all these guys, right, the immigrants, all wanted to come on the bus. They wanted us to seal them underneath the bus in the luggage compartment for when we drove back to Europe. Um, really, you know economic migrants whatever you want to call it uh we didn't but i don't make any judgment on that you know i want to better my situation if i was worse off right anyway so what happened next there we are in turkey three weeks later having spent all this money on uh bread lee and i left there driving this bus with a brand new engine just about we got 70, 70 miles up the road, about 100 kilometers, and the bus starts juddering, right? It's just me and Lee. We're driving to pick up the other guys who've gone ahead. Some have gone as far as Iran, right? So we pull the bus over in a car park, and we call up the mechanics, who then jump in their car, the dad and the son, hammer it out 70 miles to meet us. They get down, and they do that, like... um Sorry, I've got a message coming through here. They're a professional podcast for you, right? They come down, they do that thing that, that foreigners do much better than us Europeans, where they, they crouch down in their haunches. They're crouching down, smoking, trying to work out what's wrong. Turns out um, one of the sprockets is wrong, okay? So you've got the engine on the bus and you've got the gearbox, for, for example, and they put the teeth rather than like that, they put it like one, one wrong. The younger mechanic, the son, just turned around to us and went, Genghis, <laughs> right? It was Genghis who put the engine back together and he put the engine out. The timing admit was obviously missing. And what it did, it pushed the rods 
up through the engine. So basically we snapped the uh, valves, you know, the valves that let the fuel in like this. So these guys came out and luckily they were able to weld it, even though it was like brazed steel or something. They, no, that was it. They could, they could braze it, right? And finally we got underway. The funny thing was when we were in that car park, when they called other mechanics to come and like help them fix the bus, they, the mechanic arrived. He had a key for the barrier on the side of the motorway. So what they'd done, they'd taken a section of motorway barrier out, right? Because it's a toll road. You have to pay in all these countries on the motorways. They'd taken this section of barrier out, replaced it with a chain and a padlock. And now, whenever they wanted to not pay the toll, they undid this padlock and drove off the motorway that way, right? This is why you got to love traveling. You see just all these... Um, you just have all these unreal experiences. So that was that. In Istanbul, it flooded. I'll put a, a photo up. It flooded and the water was so deep, it was coming up over the steps of the bus and it was running down to the back of the bus. That's how deep it was. And we pulled up in a junkyard looking for a part for the vehicle, right? Or we needed something welded. It was something like that. and. This mechanic jumps on the bus and went, oh, I'll drive you. So me and Lee like looked at each other and thought, oh, well, he's a mechanic. He must drive buses all the time. Sure. So I moved over and I let the guy drive the bus. Fucking big mistake, right? This idiot couldn't drive for toffee. He hammers it forward, not realising that the back bumper of the bus has now caught on a pile of these scrap cars. You know how they pile these cars like five and six high, five or six high? This idiot's got the bus, our back bun bumper, hooked up on the bottom bunk, on the bottom car. And he hasn't even looked in his mirror and seen it. So he's carrying on. I look in the mirror, see what's going on. And I'm like, stop, stop. And he's just, I mean, stop probably doesn't mean a lot to a Turkish guy, right? He just keeps going. He's dragging this big stack of cars and we pulled up outside an office or we went past an office that had a whole row of brand new cars outside it, right? And this stack just went and it fell into a wall. The stack of cars fell over. It fell into a wall and the wall fell on top of this, you know, for argument's sake, newish car. And I don't actually know how we got out of there without taking any blame for it, but we did. Um, yeah, that was a bit mad. So from Turkey, it really started to become just a brilliant trip. Like if you can do this, this route, okay? I'll tell you the way we went. It was Norway, Sweden. Obviously, if you're doing UK, you're going to go across Europe. Norway, Sweden, Germany, Austria, Italy, Greece, Turkey, Iran, Pakistan, and India. And then all the way back again, right? But from Turkey onwards, it got interesting. For a start, you need a carnet de passage. You have to pay this massive great deposit so that Europe or so that the Turkish Asian Union or whatever it's called, know that you're not bringing a vehicle down there to sell 
like a bus, right? Or you're not driving to India and you're just going to dump it because it all screws up their economy, supposedly. So you pay this carne de passage of thousands of dollars, meaning whatever we did, we had to get this bus back. That became quite a prevalent issue. So also from Turkey onwards, there's no toilet paper. So if you're a pussy, you don't want to go to Turkey or anywhere else on from there, right? I'm not joking, I'm serious. It just becomes absolutely normal to use your hand. And I don't mean like you use your hand as toilet paper. You have a little tap in the toilets. You fill up a little container, like a little um, plant watering pot. What do they call those things? Forgotten how to speak. A watering can. There you go. Yeah, you've got a little watering can, right, in the toilets. You fill it up from a little tap, and then you just get used to pouring it at a certain way down your back. You didn't really need that demo, did you? But you pour it a certain way down your back, and then you rub the shit off with your hand, basically, and then you wash your hands, right? It's just normal. It's the way it's been done for thousands, you know, thousands upon thousands of years. And to be honest, you do actually end up with a really clean ass, much more than like what you do using toilet paper, right? The only problem is, is you also eat with your hands over there. And they've got all this kind of rule that you use one hand for this and one hand for that. But when you're shaking hands with people and touching, it 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 is just a rule. The bacteria is going everywhere, right? And for our stomachs, it was fine up until Turkey. We're still drinking the water. That wasn't a problem. As soon as we hit Pakistan, bang, we all came down with dysentery. You imagine 15 people. Well, we're down to 14 now, right? 14 people on a bus, all with dysentery. We used to stop the bus in the desert. We'd all get off. You'd go behind, you know, one at a time you'd get off or whatever. You'd go behind a rock and there's 14 rows of dysentery, yellow and white, phlegmy, you know what, right? So, yeah. And that didn't really, that dysentery, is, that is hard to shake. The only guy that didn't get sick was my mate Papias. He's from Malawi, right? Dead now, died of AIDS. So funny, isn't it? You know, life is short, folks. That's my best mate, Lee, dead. And Pappy, another one of the nicest guys ever going to meet in a world, right? Lovely man. I think he went back to Malawi after being in Europe. It made him a bit of a sort of superstar. Not surprisingly, he died of AIDS. I digress. So, yeah. So from Turkey onwards, the other bonuses, you get the deserts, right? Amazing. And no desert scene, what no one desert scenery is the same. You've got deserts with gray sand and rocks. You've got deserts with yellow sand and cactus. You've got deserts with massive great cliffs. They're all just incredibly spectacular. And driving as I did, obviously, for many hours. We drove from noon until midnight. We drove from dawn until midnight every, you know, as soon as I could get this lot up. I wanted to get on the road because it was my, I had one goal on this trip to drive to India, drive back and then drive back up that mountain that I told you about. Because when the team did it the year before I was there, this bus came back up and 
the whole school went out to meet it and everyone's clapping. It was my mate Steve that drove it. And I just thought when I saw Steve do that, do you remember what I said about your bucket list? Never put it up there, dream it, and it will come true. That's what happened. I had a little dream. They might ask me to drive that bus one day and, and look what happened, right? So yeah, the desert's just, just awesome. Um, so now we're entering Iran. Ignore what you're hearing in the media at the minute. They are the loveliest people on earth. They're fine. They're not hardcore right-wing Muslim. Not like kind of like Afghanistan and Pakistan where it all starts to get a bit, you know, they will take it a bit serious there, right? Um, in Iran, they're all incredibly well-educated. It's, for want of a nicer term, it's a first world country. So it's not, you know, what, what I thought it was, right? Um, the problem was when we got into Iran, our exhaust fell off. So by this time, we've lost all the pneumatics on the bus, right? In fact, no, this actually happens in Pakistan. We've, we've, uh, we've lost the exhaust. So our bus is sounding like a World War II bomber. You know, that, that massively loud, smacking piston noise you know like the old spitfires that didn't have exhaust pipes right that that is how loud it was um on top of that we've got all these other problems now on the bus we've already we've got one window smashed so we've just put a board up in it or something um so we're driving into tehran and we've got this bus that is just making this racket all the people in the city were laughing their asses off at us, going like this, like this. And they were all really friendly. They came up. Many spoke just perfect English. Some have been educated abroad. You know, it was a real enlightening experience. Um, and then finally, uh, or finally before India, we had to cross Pakistan. This is where it gets interesting. You are now in bandit country, literally, right? Like I said, we've all come down with dysentery now, right? We're eating dal, which is this vegetarian soup. Um, um, every we're staying. Well, the got all the guys slept on the roof of the bus at night, right? I slept in my bed because I'm the driver. I need to sleep, and it's too. I don't know if it's too hot outside or inside the bus. It it was just both. But as we neared India, we got more and more mosquitoes, which wasn't nice. So a couple of things that happened. First of all, yeah, weird stuff, right? Weird stuff. We parked the bus up one night and there was a festival or music coming from a field, right? Like some satanic ritual. So we, me and Lee went down there to check it out, went through this gateway and this whole field is full of men. So we're like, oh, it's a party. Let's go and check it out, right? Rather kind of, not naively, but so we're pushing our way through the crowd and we got to the middle and all these men were making a circuit, circle around a lady boy, two lady boys, right? These two men dressed as women are doing all this, you know, what I'm guessing is sexy dancing to a guy who's never actually seen a woman do this before, right? You might think I'm joking, but in this country, 
everyone's covered up, head to toe in the, in the burqa, right? With a hijab or, or, you know, we didn't even call, we called it something else when we were there. But anyway, you know, many of them have just got the kind of like the eye thing going on, even, even if they've got that, right? Um, Lee tried to take a photo. Uh, sorry, JR, the Irish guy, tried to take a photo of this uh, Pakistani wife. They have to walk 10 meters behind their husband, right? I'm ordinarily, I'm fine for difference in culture. I mean, I'm fine for this, but a lot of it is just so fucking backward. I'm sorry to say it, but it just is. This woman has to walk behind. JR got his camera out because he's trying to take photos for our magazine that we're doing. This guy just lost the plot, sees red, and he comes running at the bus and he tries to force his way on to get JR, right? Luckily, we'd met a load of guys in, in Quetta that had kind of befriended us and they were, they were very rich. So they didn't have to put up with a lot of this small shit, right? And they just shoved this guy in the face and told him, mate, Fuck off, right? Kind of explaining. These are Westerners. They don't know, like, your rules, right? That was one interesting thing. Another thing is we pulled the bus up and stayed outside a police station one night, right? The police are like, oh, you stay here. Safe. Very safe, right? So we stayed there. And I'm looking at this, uh, another bus, passenger bus, right? And the radiator, that's the radiator. It is dinked in like that, right? Like a person-sized hole has been slammed back into the grill of this bus. The driver comes over and he's just looking at our bus going, oh, you know. He's talking um, Urdu, right? Pakistani. But he must be saying, oh, you know, very interesting. You know, you come from where? Where? We're like, oh, Europe, Europe, Norway. Oh, no, you know. And I'm like, so what's the deal with you? Why, why are you at the police station? He went, oh, my bus, my bus. What, what, what happened? Oh, bang. He's trying to tell me he's come through the local village too fast. He's killed someone, right? And they've tried to lynch him because it's lawless. And it's, it's kind of pretty lawless in Pakistan, right? They still stone people in these remote communities, right? You know, stone women for, uh, well, even thinking about leaving their husband, they're not allowed to, right? Complete subservience. I'll come on to a bit more about it. So he's hit someone coming through the village. They've tried to kill him. The police have got in there and got this guy out. And I'm like, so what's going to happen to you? He's like, oh, what? They, they're going to ha hang you for a road accident. You know, he's pretty nonchalant about it. They're going to hang this guy. For hitting one of these villagers, right? So anyway, these guys that came and looked after us, um, they took us to this townhouse, right? It was a real plush townhouse. When I say plush, a bit like an old kind of London house, right? That well, townhouses are townhouses. You either know what I'm talking about, or you don't. But one of these ones that have got a square in the middle and it's and it's open air, like not a courtyard, but part of the house sort of thing, right? So I'm chatting with this guy. And he goes, oh, pulls his gun out. I think I mentioned this the other day, right? Gives it to me. He says, oh, go on, have a shot. So I'm like, all right. <laughs> right, I fired a shot off. And uh, 
guy turns to me and goes, hmm, yes, this, uh, um, I kill my wife. What? Yes, this one, I kill my wife. Why? Oh, she won't, uh, won't leave me. <laughs> All right, so your wife wanted to leave you, so you shot her. I said, where did you shoot her? He said, oh, uh, in the face. You think that's crazy, right? That happened to my ex, or one of my ex-girlfriends, classmate in Sweden of all places. Her Iranian father wouldn't accept that she had a Swedish boyfriend, right? Iranian immigrants. Even though this girl had grown up in Sweden her whole life, right? Just shot his own daughter through the face and killed her. So it's all well and good saying, yeah, immigration, open door policy. But you can see from what I'm saying where the clash of cultures comes in, right? My girlfriend in Sweden also got armed robbed in a supermarket that we worked in one night with a machine gun by two Somalians, okay? So that's maybe a story I tell another time. Um, and they're having big problems up there in the north of there. It's all backfired on them, isn't it? You know, all this welcome to our... Not trying to sound racist here, guy. I'm just talking about the cold, hard truth. These cultures don't live by our rules. I'm not saying their rules are wrong. I'm not even judging them, but they're pretty incompatible. Anyway, I'm in this house. I notice, where's Lee? He said he was going to the toilet and he hasn't come back, right? Ten minutes later, I see him peeking around the corner of this wall and I'm like, Lee, what are you doing? He came over. He said, I heard the shot. I thought they'd started killing us. So I locked myself in the toilet, right? So, yeah, that was quite funny. So, yeah, that was it. We made it to, um, we made it to India. It was amazing to drive into India. It suddenly got really, uh, much more humid. So there was loads more mosquitoes, which made sleeping on the roof of the bus not much fun. By this time, Lee's pockets were just full of dope. He'd just been scoring off everybody we met and he's just knocking up spliffs all the time. And in order not to let like JR know, the, the, the leader, that we're all getting stoned all the time, we'd go up on the skylight out the, out the roof, right? And go up on the skylight, climb out the skylight. One time I'm up there smoking a sneaky doobie and we used to just take the, the hatchway down, right? So I'm up there smoking. Lee is driving down this road in India and it's so narrow, a truck comes hammering the other way, right? And they don't stop. They've all got this bloody God shit on their side and they don't give a crap about life, right? It's to them, it's like, inshallah. Okay, not, I know this is Pakistan, not India, but inshallah, it's like the Muslim way. It means if God wishes it, so it's so, you know? I mean, they don't have to give a give a toss about anything, right? I'm on the roof of the bus. This guy comes hammering out of, you know, probably coming from Delhi or somewhere, loaded up with straw or something. They don't slow down. What they do is they just go off the side of the road onto the verge. So all at the side of the road, it's all crumbled and decayed. So it slopes off. The trouble is we had a river on our side, right? Lee goes like that. And he, this is a guy who can't see it. <laughs> he couldn't see anyway, right? He pulls over i'm on the roof i honestly thought that was my time i thought we were going in that rolling down into this river the bus just swerved 
I'm holding on to the combing like that, joint puffing out my mouth, trying not to get thrown in this river, right? And uh, yeah, um, the other thing about Dean's driving is some one of the kids nicked his prescription sunglasses, right? So now he's got no glasses and no sunglasses. When we're in Turkey, we're walking along, right? We're walking and we're going to go and try and find some beer. Um, if is, is it if is the beer in uh, the beer in Turkey? So we're walking along and I led Lee through this abandoned building. It was like what, under construction, if you know what I mean. There were no glass in the windows. There was no floors in it. It's just this kind of empty building. And I can see like in one room, there's a cement mixer where the builders are going to come back next week or whatever. And uh, like Lee looks at me and goes, oh, come on, our kid, in his Manchester accent. I'm like, what are you on about? And he starts running. I'm like, what are you on about? He says, we can get a haircut. He'd been wanting a haircut for days, right? I'm like, Lee, that's not a barber shop. That's like bags of cement. <laughs> it was at that point I realised I'd driven thousands of miles already with a guy that couldn't even see 30 metres in front of him. That those bags of cement, that's not a barber. That's not a barber's shop, right? When we did find a barber, this woman gave me a haircut. She did the most amazing thing. I've never, one of those weird things that only happens when you're abroad in a, like a, you know, third world country right supposed to call them majority world countries if you want to be like less discriminatory this woman cuts my hair and she just gets my hair and she goes i'm thinking oh she's just playing with me right and then she goes whack and my neck just goes and then she goes whack and my neck goes again right it's um i never never experienced that so Anyway, now we're in India. We're getting, we're having all these nice meals. They do these little, lots of little like platters of food. It's pretty amazing. Um, by this time, a lot of the guys had just got up and left the bus. The, the school we were working for was so, the organization was so disorganized. They just couldn't be freaking ass with it, you know? We've been breaking down all the time. So the boys just got out and they hitchhiked to India, right? Um, and yeah, that was it. Got to India and then I flew to Bangkok to meet my brother and we went down to the full moon party on Koh Panyan. That is a story I will tell you in another podcast. Sex, drugs and rock and roll. Maybe not with the people you kind of thought it might be with. If you've been in Thailand, you know exactly what I'm talking about now, right? Mad, mad. But yeah, we drove back uh, all the way. We came back to Norway, got to the bottom of that hill and I went off at one of the guys because our fuel pipe kept snapping every like 30 miles. Oh, I got one more anecdote to tell you. I've got, I've got to tell you this, right? So it started in Baluchistan. If you don't know Baluchistan, it's a bandit country. It's, control it's an area controlled by Bedouin bandits. So Bedouin are these people that live in tents. They get up and they can move around. All carry guns, right? 
And what they do, and it's a stretch of desert in Pakistan called the Baluchistan Desert, is they, they all hide around a corner with their machine guns, and their rifles. When the buses come through, they jump out in the road, stop the buses, shoot everyone on board, rob them, and then they disappear in the desert. And of course, nobody knows who it was or where they've gone, so they never get caught, right? We're parked up, right? I've had the most amazing drive across the desert. The evening before, everybody had fallen asleep on the bus. I'm driving at two in the morning. It's pitch black. The sand blowing in a sandstorm across the road. There's puddles of sand in the road moving like that sideways across the road. It was incredible. And I'm listening to um, oh, Massive Attack, Unfinished Symphony. And I'm drinking coffee and I'm smoking roll-ups. It was one of the best experiences of my life. You've got to do something like this, guys, you know. Then I parked up in the morning. All the guys were asleep. So I'm not going to go across Baluchistan in the dark, right? And risk bringing these bandits on even more. We've got about 150, 200 mile stretch of bandit country that we got to run. And once you go, you can't stop. It's foot to the floor. Don't stop for anything, right? So if there's 30 armed bandits in the road, you just drive straight through the middle of them because they're going to kill you anyway, right? So I'm parked up. There's a knock on the bus door, right? All the guys are just waking up now. It's the driver of the bus behind, right? Passenger bus. Driving to, I don't know, might have been India for all I know, right? Driver comes on board, goes, so how you doing? Right? Like, yeah, okay, you know, got a bit of tricky desert now, haven't we? He's like, yeah. He said, what, what have you got? I'm like, sorry? He's like, what, what do you have? I didn't know what he's talking about. I'm, I'm like, what, what do you mean? He's like, weapons, weapons. I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, got a bread knife. You want to borrow that? You know, he's talking about like, you're going across Baluchistan. What weapons are you taking to protect, you know, to fight back? Well, we didn't have any weapons. We certainly didn't have any Kalashnikovs. Really wish we did, right? He said, okay, no problem. You stick with me. Stick behind like this, okay? I'm like, don't worry. We, I will be right behind you like this. <clears throat> so we set off. This guy winds it right up to 90 mile an hour from the start, doesn't he? Or desert, windy desert roads, you know, 70 mile an hour. I'm hammering on in this old British Leyland bus. It's 1978. You can work that out. Was that 22 years old back then? And I've got the steering wheel thing doing all this. Got the exhaust blowing because we haven't got it fixed. And it's sounding, you know, it's letting every bandit know for a thousand miles around that we're coming. And I'm right up behind this guy. I'm wired because I haven't slept all night. And then what happened? One of our fuel pipes bust. Snapped for about the 15th time in about 15 days. That, that's how many times I had to get out and clamp this fuel thing down, right? Firing on, I don't know, what is it? Seven cylinders instead of eight. This bus slows down to 30 mile an hour. So I had to drive through bandit country. I've got 170 miles to drive at 30 mile an hour. So you can do the maths on, on how long that took. And I was just like that, no sleep, wouldn't, just wouldn't stop, right? I didn't want to let Lee drive because 
if these bandits appeared, I, I, I knew that I'd just smash right through him, right? And he'd probably, you know, he's a civilian, so he'd probably stop, right? I don't know. But so, yeah, that was it. Got back to Norway. The road went up that mountain. It's my dream coming true, right? Gone off at one of the guys because um, he was shouting at me when I went out to fix the fuel pipe before going up the mountain. He's going, ah, fuck it. We'll just call him to come and pick us up. I'm like, I've just driven 8,000 fucking miles. I've woken you up every freaking morning, you lazy. I've cooked your breakfast. I've washed every dish. I've driven this bus. I've been under there getting black from head to toe every single day to keep this bus on the road. Now that we're back, I'm driving this bus up that mountain as I planned, right? If you don't like it, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that was it. I clamped this pipe down, got the bus up to speed, and we went up this mountain. And uh, yeah, this is what life's about, guys, making your dreams come true. Because to drive back into the, the grounds of that school, setting a big old ski lodge it was, um, it was amazing. There was nobody there to greet us because they were all out, they were all out fundraising, right? So anyway, would you like to do this? Because I'll tell you how. Two ways. Either you can join, it's called Humana, people to people. Google it. That's the organization I work for. And you want to go to the Norway school, not the Denmark ones, right? I'll tell you now, it's a complete cult. And I'll talk more about that in another podcast. It, it was a cult. Uh, and a lot of the finance, in my humble opinion, was a scam. But I digress. You and your 50 mates want to do that trip. What you do is you go and get some postcards printed off of some project that you want to go and help in India, like building a well for some little orphans or something. You know, get some sort of teary-eyed bloated stomach kids on your postcards and then you go out in the street and you sell them you sell five postcards for five quid right and you just go up to people on the street they'll be kinder than you expect and it's a numbers game you're not trying to sell postcards to every single person you want to hit like one in ten so it means you've got to ask ten people to get the one kind person and you tell them your project me my 15 friends Go into India, we're going to drive a bus, we're going to do this, this, and this humanitarian project. Would you be kind enough, sir, to make a donation, right? And when they reply, they'll only ever say five different replies. It will be like, I already support a charity, I haven't got any money, I'm in a hurry. You just learn. Oh, I've got to cut this short because it's telling me that this file is too big. But you just learn how to reply to those answers and you get them for some pocket change then, right? But I digress. That's how you do it. You fundraise. You buy yourself a reasonably priced secondhand bus. You've got a mission then. You plan out your trip. You get your visas in place. It's not, it's not, it takes work, but it's not hugely difficult. And then you can do what I did. My mates are doing it at the minute. They're doing it on motorbikes, right? Um, that's it. I'm going to shut up. But I drove to India and back and it was great. Thank you for listening. 
Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.